Tuesday, September 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Fool.com, also the host of Where the Money Is, and sometimes the host of Market Foolery, Mark Reese. Thanks for being here, man. Too many hosts in the kitchen. Too many. Hopefully not. <laughs> um, I appreciate you being here because I know you were up really, really early this morning, and we'll get to why in a moment. Uh, the Apple event is happening later today. You don't say. Yeah, you may, you may heard. You may have seen a little coverage of that if you've seen CNBC or Bloomberg or anything online. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we will talk a little bit about that, but we'll go further in depth uh, tomo- on tomorrow's market foolery once the event has actually happened. But right. let's start with Barnes and Noble and file this under things I never thought I would say. Shares of Barnes & Noble hitting a new 52-week high this morning. Woo! <laughs> we win! After first quarter results... Uh, uh, <laughs> there's no other way to put it. First quarter results weren't good, Not but great. they weren't as bad as people were expecting. Same-store sales being one metric where analysts were expecting them to drop 2%. They mm-hmm. only dropped 0.4%. Yes! Uh, so, hey, you know what? If, if you... Adhere to the Seth Jason time-honored investing strategy of sometimes just look for a crappy company and hope they become just a little bit less crappy. Mm-hmm. Well done. It's paid off for Barnes & Noble. Is this that company, though? Does it become less crappy? I, I, I don't know. Where Certainly is... in terms of the expectations, this is. Sure. Okay, that's that's fair to say. But in terms of performance, does it become less crappy? For instance, one of the things they're trying to do is separate the book-selling business from the Nook business to hopefully save the book business and let the floundering Nook business just die off. Uh, which, by the way, their numbers for this quarter... Not great for the Nook. I think it fell at what sales fifty four percent. Fifty four percent. Not great. Not a not a spin off. I'm going to dive into. Let's put it that way. So where does Barnes and Nobles go from here? You've got Amazon breathing down their neck. They have been for the last twenty years or so. Uh, the Nook isn't going to outsell the. I don't know, name, insert na- uh, tablet here. Uh, the Nook isn't also ran at this point. I f- I don't know. Barnes & Noble's, the best they've got right now is that they had some mixed results this quarter, and things weren't as bad as they could have been. Yeah, it does seem like, well, at some point in the last 52 weeks, if you looked at this and thought, okay, they're going to spin off Nook, they do have bookstores that that are profitable. Sure. And and maybe, and it seems like we say this every quarter with Barnes & Noble, but maybe if they really focus on the highest performing stores mm-hmm. shut down some of the smaller ones mm-hmm. and figure out ways because uh, as someone who does go to Barnes and Noble from time to time it's a good customer experience uh, but um, but yeah it's it, it almost seems like the run that the stock has had has certainly been nice for those who are shareholders <laughs> but it is hard to see how they I, I get how they can make the bricks and mortar book selling business more profitable. I don't really see how they make it a whole lot bigger, though. No, uh, there's there's no more room for expansion. No one's. I I go to a Barnes and Noble occasionally, and to be fair, their strongest stores are the college st- campus stores where the students have to buy from them, and they have to buy these overpriced textbooks. So that's great. Keep the campus stores, but you're not going to see any new Barnes and Noble booksellers out there anytime soon. They're not going to be the guy the the stores holding up the ends of the malls. Uh, there's 
it's sad to say. I worked at a Barnes and Nobles for for two years, and it, I just I don't see a future for this company. Maybe they're not dying today. They're not dying tomorrow. Not even uh, a couple of years from now. But there's nowhere for them to go. It does seem like they would be. This is one of those companies that we're not wishing them any ill will, but it does <laughs> it, it does seem like they, like Dell Computer, by the way, mm-hmm. might be better off private. And for all the th- reports you, you can find over the last year or so about Dell as a private company, it really seems like the company's doing well. Certainly, Michael Dell seems like he's a lot happier running a private company than running a public company that has to butt heads with the likes of Apple and HP and Microsoft. Absolutely. And, and just having that almost... A breather for Barnes and Nobles could do them a world of good. I don't see them coming back to the public market if they ever go private. I think they stay private. Um, the 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 CEO, or the, excuse me, the founder of Barnes and Nobles has made some noise about taking it private. Maybe I, I don't know about that one. I don't, I don't see any private equity groups coming in. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, a, a private Barnes and Nobles, okay, I could see that surviving. Maybe. Let's move on to Apple. Got an email from Michael Morell in Washington, D.C. You guys always talk about how it's a bad sign when a company's product becomes just an accessory in another company's product, like when Garmin watched helplessly as Google Maps gobbled up its GPS market share. Good analogy. Very good analogy. Uh, Well, couldn't you see the rumored iWatch doing the same to a bunch of current products? I'd be really nervous if I were Fitbit or Jawbone, just to name a couple. What other companies should be biting their collective nails at the impending announcement from Apple? It's a great question, Mm. and by the way, a great way to think about Investing beyond just because I think it's very easy, and certainly the the coverage in the financial media has been focused on first and foremost Apple and mm. therefore Apple stock. Well, what will the iPhone six have in it to juice the sales? Could the iWatch really have some game changer in it that makes it more of a mainstream product? And if both of those things happen, what does that mean for the stock? Mm. But to to Michael's question. Uh, I I do think it's an imp- it's a good way to sort of broaden the universe of stocks and say, well now wait a minute because I I think he's right and and I think the examples are great because I don't think anyone looks at a public company like Fossil which makes high end mm-hmm. traditional watches I don't think anyone really looks at Fossil as being on this list uh, because for whatever the iWatch is going to be. If you want a nice timepiece on your wrist, you're gonna you're gonna buy one. Right, you're gonna shell out the money for it. Right, so it's not. So I don't think it's them, but you, you look at the technology space. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is biting their nails on this? Well, uh, he he mentioned a couple of companies: the 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 health fitness app, uh, the trackers out there, the 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 Jawbones, the Fitbits, the what have you. Insert name here, honestly. Um, yeah, Apple. Poses a very real threat to those companies. Just they've got what is, what's their market cap at right now? Six hundred billion dollars. They've got thirty something billion dollars in their war chest, ready to go, just to destroy these companies if they wanted to. Um, and the the consumer buy-in for Apple products. It's a trusted brand. It's a brand people know. Uh, people maybe know Jawbone, maybe know Fitbit, but they definitely know Apple. So if Apple comes out with a product that sets itself apart somehow from these other trackers, yeah, it could absolutely be a problem for the smaller companies. And you said it, actually, very intelligently the other day. Apple is in a position where 
it could come out with something different, almost like it did with the iPhone a couple of years ago. There are dozens of smartphone player, phone players out there, but there's nothing like the iPhone. iPhone changed the game. Everyone needed one. Then everyone had to copy the iPhone. And now we have a lot of phones that look like an iPhone. It's the same sort of time frame right now for Apple, where there are dozens of players on this market, the smartwatch market, this tracker market, whatever this synergy you would find between the two markets would be. Uh, there are dozens of players out there. Not huge sales, because no one's different. You could just buy a Jawbone or a Fitbit or a what have you. It doesn't really matter. If Apple can come out and set itself apart somehow with a, a differentiating factor, whether that's I don't know their their health kit app uh, for their iPhone or some I don't know design interesting design with their watch, that could be a big deal. That could really hurt these smaller companies. I think that uh, it's a bit of a delicate dance, but I think the if you are a partner of Apple's, mm. and I'll just use Corning as an example. Uh, providing the glass, right? You have to think at any moment, Apple could take their business elsewhere. So on the one hand, it's great if you're the if you're the company that's providing the glass <laughs> for the iPhones, for the device, whatever it is. If you are the vendor who is providing the sensors, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like we see across the river in Washington D.C. with um, with defense contractors, where it's like, hey, if you get, if you are. The Air Force's number one supplier of jets. Yeah. They're golden. Yeah, that's great yeah. until they decide to give that contract to someone else. Absolutely. So I, I think that's uh, that's another group that sort of needs. And it's it's interesting how we've seen it play out. Certainly with the iPhone, mm-hmm. where they're um, from time to time we'll see Apple really play their cards close to the vest. Where companies that are, it's like, well, we provided the components on iPhone four. Uh, we hope we're going to provide them for iPhone 5, but we don't know. Right. Uh, one of those companies actually is Invensense, which is a rule breakers pick. I was talking to Simon Erickson, one of the analysts over there, uh, earlier today. So, like you said, Apple, before their announcements, I mean, they have a very leaky um, supply chain, that's for sure. We've seen plenty of pictures of the iPhone, not so much on the inside. So, we don't know for sure if Invensense's chips, and they make the chips, by the way, that when you take a picture with your phone and you turn it on its side, it goes from portrait to landscape. They're the ones who do that sort of thing. And they do it for the Samsung Galaxy 5. They do it for the Amazon Fire Phone. There's a very, very... Simon says a 95% chance that Invensense's chips are in Apple, uh, the, app, the Apple iPhone 6, but we don't know for sure, right. uh, which, is, which is fine because Invensense, uh, just to focus on this company for a second, it's a great little company. They, had, they just rocked it this last quarter. They have a lot of opportunities ahead of them. So if they're not in the iPhone 6, when people start buying the iPhone 6 two or three weeks from now, start tearing them apart and say, hey, the Invensense chip isn't in here. Sure, Invensense is going to suffer in the short term. That might be a buying opportunity for a longer term bet. And if Invensense is in the iPhone 6, they're just going to blow it out of the water. At our member event last month in San Francisco, the CEO of Invensense, Peres Abdi, uh, was one of the speakers. And I just came away from, from his talk incredibly impressed with him, mm-hmm. um, in part because of uh, the way he views his own business and the way he views competition. He, he struck me as someone incredibly clear-eyed about, yeah, this is great now, but 
you know, as, as I think uh, Jeff Bezos has talked to you know, Jeff Bezos says, I wake up every morning scared to death of my customers. Uh, you know, uh, he didn't use the phrase scared to death, but Abdi said, sure, absolutely. We, we are keenly aware of our competition. This is a very competitive space. We know that, uh, you know, we're, we're in a tough fight here. Mm. And uh, so anyway, uh, let's move on to why you woke up so early this morning. Because it turns out, despite what you see in the financial media, there was actually another California-based technology company mm. that had a bid, big unveiling today. They just chose to do it at 3 a.m., and I'm referring to Activision Blizzard, the video game company behind World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, Skylanders. They came out this morning at midnight Pacific time, Mm -hmm. 3 a.m. on the East Coast, with Destiny, Mm. their reportedly $500 million game. So you're a gamer. You were up before the sun. Four thirty a.m. I woke up. I set my alarm the night before. Woke up at four thirty, just confused and why am I awake? <gasps> it's Destiny Day. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll get to the game itself in a minute. <laughs> oh, okay. But first, we, we had talked yesterday on Market Foolery about the glitches in fantasy football apps. How was the buying experience? Because this is not running down to a GameStop and standing in line waiting for them to open. This was a game that you downloaded. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that went smoothly. It's the way of the future, this this internet thing. It's, <laughs> it's really working out well. No, uh, for a game as hyped as Destiny, they had to get the launch perfect. Everything had to download smoothly. Everything had to run well as soon as you booted up the game. And to Bungie and Activision, and in my case, I bought it on a PlayStation 4, so Sony's credit, Things went really, really well. Uh, this is the first game I've pre-ordered, digitally downloaded on the Sony PlayStation 4. Smooth as butter, and that's that's going to be a huge thing for Activity. You really can't uh, can't under if people can't play the game on day one. Gamers are a fickle beasts. They will just abandon ship, and so it's a very good thing that things went smoothly, especially for me when I woke up at 4:30 a.m. If I hadn't been able to play at 4:30 a.m., I would not have been a happy camper. You told me this morning it's this is Destiny, the most pre-ordered game. Mm-hmm. What kind of numbers are we talking about? Because we we don't have any numbers yet, and right. presumably we won't have any for at least another day or so. Right. Um, but it, 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 when you hear most pre-ordered game, what what was the previous record? Are we talking five million, ten million? Uh so the the guesstimates. So for Destiny, they only the brought out their beta, uh, their testing version of this a couple of months ago, and 4.6 million people signed up for the testing version alone, which is a pretty high number to begin with. Uh, the current record holder for day one sales is Grand Theft Auto V. They sold $800 million worth of uh, games in the first 24 hours. So that's 14 million people, give or take. Um, and they they ended up selling a billion dollars worth within three days. Call of Duty, obviously, is out there. Ghosts, uh, they sold $500 million within the first day. Uh, there, oh, excuse me, that was that was uh, Advanced Warfare uh, Ghosts, their most recent uh, iteration of that franchise. They shipped $1 billion worth of games on day one. So again, these are big, big companies, big games. Destiny is poised to blow them out of the water. The guesstimates are that they're going to sell between, uh, I think it's 13 and 16 million copies in the first 24 hours, which would translate to uh, 600 to 900 million dollars worth of games in one day, uh, and that's that's a heck of a thing, especially because 
Activision is rumored to have spent five hundred million dollars. I was just going to say they better sell that much, thing. right? If, if you know, if you're a shareholder and you're th- and you're seeing these reports, and I'm not, but if, if you're seeing these reports over the last couple of months that mm-hmm. they spent five hundred million dollars. Well, they better get their money back and then some. That's true. And $500 million, again, just to give you an idea, that's the most any game, that, that's the most expensive development for any game ever. Uh, and you can tell why, by the way. Some of the, the, the graphics are beautiful. The marketing has been spot on. They've got voice actors. They got Peter Dinklage, Idris Elba, Nathan Fillion. Paul McCartney wrote the soundtrack for this thing. He composed it and he wrote the theme song for it. They went all out for this game. It's a big, big bet. Like you said, shareholders might have been a little trepidatious about that. But to Activision and Bungie's credits, they have a 10-year deal set up. They have a plan. They don't see this thing ending anytime soon. And before the show, we were talking about this. It's almost like Warcraft, where you just keep on building on this world. Expansion packs, DLCs, different iterations of the same thing. They $500 million at the outset could actually be a pretty small number in comparison to what they end up making over the course of the lifetime of this game. It's a big, big bet. I see it paying off so far. So the game itself is where essentially you're a first-person shooter, mm-hmm. you're you're defending the Earth, the, the last remaining city. A classic story. On Earth, a classic story. Yep. And there are three other planets you can eventually get to. Mm-hmm. But then you said... The, the first expansion pack is coming out around the holidays. Yep, already on. So on presumably top. more planets, mm-hmm. and then um, as the star, the sky is the limit. Yeah, I was going to say Heather Horton behind the glass <laughs> made the comment like, "Well, that's you know, there you go. That's what's great about space. You can just make up planets <laughs> if you want to." And I, I see them doing that. Yeah, like I said, there's there's no end to how this game can develop. Uh, they can go in a thousand different directions. They can build on the RPG elements. They can build on the first-person shooter elements. First-person shooters have been incredibly popular recently. Obviously, Call of Duty is the most popular version of that. Uh, And Bungie, the developers of Halo, are certainly no slouches when it comes to first-person shooters. You have multiplayer. You have the online iterations of it. It's just, man, this thing could could last for decades. Now, this is a stock that, because over the last few years, we've seen this play out for Activision Blizzard, Mm -hmm. where they come out with a new version of Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, that sort of thing, and the and the headlines look great. Mm. It's the oh, we sold X hundred million in the first three days, blah blah blah. But the stock really didn't go up and stay up to any meaningful degree mm-hmm. year to date. However, this stock is up more than thirty percent. I'm wondering if you look at this company and think, okay, this is the you know whatever whatever profitability issues they may have had mm-hmm. that depressed the stock over the last three to four years. They're have, figuring have out. They, have they fixed that, or is it like no, no, no? If if you're going to jump in here, make sure you're in for the long haul because this again we've we've seen them come out with a hit game with huge great headlines. Mm-hmm. And six months later, the stock is right back down, you know, twenty percent where it was. Exactly. Um, yes. So last couple of years, floundering to say the least. Not floundering, but it's just kind of cruising along. Uh, and that's because Activision focused so much on, like I said, World of Warcraft, which they just keep on milking that cow. Obviously, uh, they've got the Call of Duty franchise, with they keep on milking that cow as well. They've been very smart recently, though, in kind of branching off of those simple cash cows. Uh, For instance, Skylanders, you mentioned that at the beginning. People underestimate this because it's a kid's game, but uh, this is just 
a, a, a titan for cash. For see, for see, I have an eight-year-old boy living in my house, and so I'm. So you know, that's the one game I'm well acquainted with. Right. It's it's both video game and collectible. Yes. And there's just so many elements to it. Yes. And they've been making bank off of that. And You're then, welcome, shareholders. Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> uh, and so, and now they've got, so that's been a, a great cash cow. That's been helping to move the stock. And again, you have the Call of Duties, the big releases. It's also, uh, an element of it is that gaming has been, uh, for a long time, viewed as something outside of the mainstream. Whereas more recently, in the last couple of years, gaming has very much become mainstream. 15 million people don't line up on day one for a video game because it's the nerdy thing to do. They do it because it's the cool thing to do. And I think Activision has been just milking that for for all it's worth in the last couple of years, especially with the Call of Duty franchise. Every frat boy in every college plays Call of Duty with his buddies. Activision is right there to catch the pocket change. It's been great for their business. So I I see Call of Duty and Warcraft continuing to... You know, hold on to that bottom line. Keep on sustaining the business as usual for Activision. But then you have Skylanders. You have a new iteration of it coming out for the holidays. You have Destiny, which is going to have a huge release today. There's no doubt about that in my mind. They already have an expansion pack for that heading for the holidays. Activision, I I like Activision right now. Well, and to the point you hit right at the top, from an operational standpoint, they Mm -hmm. clearly have everything taken care of Mm -hmm. when... The release goes flawlessly when there are no downloads. We haven't seen, or I haven't seen, any coverage so far of of people sort of complaining. Same here. Uh, I've been watching closely. Yeah, so yeah. It, it does seem like they they're taking care of business there. Mark Reese, thanks for being here. I'll let you, you know, go get a nap and then you can get back to playing Destiny. That sounds very reasonable. <laughs> As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Heather Horton. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.